Hey guys, it's your boy Danny Belts, back in the saddle full-time and glad to be here. And I'm feeling great. Episode number 85, The Pastry Chef. Yes, I'll be making insane correlations between that, the duties of a pastry chef, to sports. Why wouldn't I? Be sure and rate, subscribe, and review. Follow us on Instagram, at the Sports Antidote. And most importantly, be sure and reach out and touch a brother. Tell somebody about the Sports Antidote. We are growing. We can't do it organically without you. Reach out, touch a brother. Tell someone about the Sports Antidote. Without further ado, let's get this show going. What the hell is that? You know what it is, bitch. Welcome to the Sports Antelope, episode number 85, The Pastry Chef. I'm your host, Danny Belts. Tommy Bench is going to be jumping on to talk about the situation brewing in the Ukraine at the end. Bro Exotics coming on. God knows what he's going to bring up. It's always a blessing to have a Cardinal from the Church of Woke on this show. We're going to recap San Francisco, Los Angeles, give you a Super Bowl preview of the Bengals-Rams. This will be episode number one regarding that. We're going to touch base on Whoopi Goldberg. I don't have a choice. We're going to talk about UCLA, their development, and their very interesting and very, very unique offense and defense. They do something no one else does. We'll be talking about that in depth, as well as what a pastry chef does in regards to everyday operations in a restaurant and how that is applicable to sports. Can you believe that? It's almost impossible, yet quite possible. Well, that aside, if you didn't know, Karen, K-A-R-Y-N, Karen, how fitting, Elaine Johnson, I'm sorry, Whoopi Goldberg, her stage name, how fitting that last name is. If you live under the sun, you know by now she made some unbelievable anti-Semitic comments, which we will talk about briefly. I'm not going to really get into what she said. You can listen to it. You probably already heard it. Basically, she said Judaism or being a Jew is not a race. Then she compared the Nazis to the Jews, inferring it was just white people fighting. That that does two things right now. One, the obvious, the outrage. And I'm not Jewish, but I will tell you that was outrageous. Now, I'm not offended. I'm not Jewish. I'm offended for other people, I think, or I, I imagine they are offended, as I can't be offended for them. But number two, more importantly, it just shows the stupidity. The paramount, the top of the top of the mountain, stupidity, the apex of stupidity, of idiocy, that some of these people like Whoopi have on a great show called The View, which is a bunch of hens cackling about absolutely nothing or whatever liberal agenda the, the liberal du jour is for the day. They, it's, it's ridiculously, it, your IQ drops by the second if you watch it. It is unbelievable. And Whoopi Goldberg then, after her insane statements, then gets the chance to go on Colbert's show almost 48 hours later to go ahead and plead her case. You see, the, the far left is really organized. They knew they got to they get her through the cycle now. Next, she'll be on Good Morning America or whatever, and probably CNN, I imagine Don Lemon, probably Rachel Maddow on the other side on MSLSD. And she'll begin to go on, and you know, she doesn't like the Schindler's List, and she's mad at Ryan Gosling for paying it, playing an angry Jew that was a neo-Nazi in the movie The Believer, and she cucks. Yes. <laughs> this lady is ridiculous. And, and just to, on The View, Joy Behar is sitting right across from her, who is Jewish, and yet no one really says a word. Now there's an outcry to get her fired. She was suspended with pay, by the way. They're always suspended with pay, even when they say without pay. They're always suspended with pay. But this is buffoonery on an unbelievable level. And the fact that she said that just further proves how far out of touch not just Whoopi Goldberg is, but as we hammer on this show, the far left that gets a pedestal, a pulpit, or a microphone, and then says things like this. And she didn't even know she was wrong. She just kept going. Doubles down on Colbert's show. She'll soonly triple down. You can bet on that. I wish there was a prop bet somewhere for her tripling down. I'd mortgage my house on that. The definition of, of Jew. Let's look at it. A member of a people or cultural community. Stop right there. Cultural community. You hear it, Whoopi? Yeah. Cultural community whose tradition, religion, traditional religion is Judaism who traced their own origins through the ancient Hebrew people of Israel to Father Abraham, thus the 12 tribes of Israel. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. 
So let's just praise the Lord, right arm, left arm. That was a great uh, Sunday school thing, vacation Bible school song, as I remember correctly. But the point here isn't it's what she said. Really, that's just par for the course. The amazing part here is the fact that she still, right now, does not understand she's wrong. She gave the Drew Brees half-assed apology. Yeah, I'm not going to do it again. But you know what I'm going at, and yes. And it's just, to me, now she's backed herself in a corner. Now, I will say, we know what happened to Roseanne Barr. We know what happened to several people like this that did way less, that were completely canceled. And I hate to say it, she should be canceled, per the law of the land. I mean, do we even have to get into the semantics of how they, I don't think I need to. The, the, the thing we should all be focusing on more than anything is the fact that she still, again, does not know that she is wrong. And that right there is way more offensive than anything else in context because people like this are so far out of touch with reality that even when you hit them with it after the fact, they'll double, triple, and even quintuple or quadruple and quintuple down as we've seen Alec Baldwin do and yet he's still accepted to do the Grammys Awards speech and boy does he cuck holy jeez a guy called two guys on planes these faggots from Chelsea remember that one called his daughter a fat pig just belittled her on some boy it doesn't matter if you're on the far left you can literally do and say what you want and when you're a lesbian black female like whoopee you can say whatever you want. Believe you me, Spotify will put the, put the screws to Joe Rogan. He'll have to continue to, to back down. The more you give these guys, the farther they'll come. And Whoopi Goldberg will indeed be back on The View. I wish I could bet that. Uh, that. That might be a loser bet now because there's so many people that are Jewish in the media and behind ABC and CBS and fill-in-the-blank BS, whatever. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But the, again... It's just befuddling to me that, that she just doesn't get it even now. I could go on and on, but I'm not. Let's talk about the pastry chef. Belts, what's going on with the pastry? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Spent a lot of time in restaurants, about a decade. I was in the kitchen for a little bit, busboy. I was on a short order line one time. I was a back server at a full, we'll be talking about a five diamond four star restaurant in Charleston, South Carolina, a fine dining country club in their department, a country club in the fine dining restaurant over there for years. We have people listening to this now that I worked with. Shout out to my homies in Bonita Bay. Eric Bissell. Roddy, what you know about a Roddy Bush? Always give a little shout Shout outs when I can to people like that. Good guy. Anyway, what's a good waiter really do? Well, in a fine dining restaurant, a good waiter is going to want to hit on every single cylinder. You're going to want to get the, <coughs> excuse me, I tell you what, I'm trying to limit the coughs, but I'm just breaking up over here, man. This weather's changing, humidity's up, we're going to have a cold front coming in. Sorry for puking on the uh, the pod there. Belts, get back to it. I'm getting there. So a waiter wants to hit on all 12 cylinders, if you will, all 12 cylinders of American muscle, okay? And the way to do this is to, obviously, you want to get an appetizer or two going. In a fine dining restaurant, normally you'll have two. As the appetizers, usually you may want to have some oysters or maybe soup going into your salad or vice versa, whatever. But the more you sell up front, the more courses, the higher your ticket is going to be. I wouldn't focus more if I was a waiter on the high-ticket entrees. Those are going to get ordered when they get ordered. It's the same with the specials. There's nothing super special about your specials, let's be honest. We've done on this. We've done several episodes on this. The secret's in the sauce. You have the same grill as the place across the street, probably the same meat and seafood purveyor. Your grill's the same as theirs. What separates a restaurant are the sauces and the sides. Full stop, period. Full stop. That's what separates good food from average food, the sides and the sauces. When your sides are good, your entree will be great. When your sides are great, your entree will be phenomenal. And you can just go up the ladder from there. But the pastry chef is just an underrated, valuable asset to any restaurant, particularly speaking when looking at the bottom line. I'll tell you why. You see, entrees are the most expensive thing in a restaurant aside from alcohol. But even alcohol itself is very expensive. You could have a first-growth Bordeaux. You could have a Petrus over here. I don't know. 
you could have a, a Lafitte Rothschild for all I know, and you could have that, but you're having to buy it from someone and hold it. So now you've spent money. You're wasting precious inventory. Nothing is more precious in a restaurant aside from location and parking than the footprint. How much room do you have in there to operate? Every footprint when you build this place out is exponentially more money and the construction costs, etc. So the footprint is a very valuable piece. A restaurant is built kind of like a chessboard almost. You have to be strategic in how you do this. The restaurant I worked at in Charleston, South Carolina, shout out to Sheet Rock, Sea Rock, a.k.a. Sheet Rock, still hitting them big basketball teasers, still holding it down at the P Grill on the corner of Market Meeting, right in the thick of everything in lovely Charleston, South Carolina. Once again, shout out to my boy, Sea Rock. Anyway, in this restaurant, the footprint was extremely limited, uh, and so was storage for alcohol, to say the least. That aside, again, when you store anything in inventory, I work for a company that has a massive amount of inventory. We're very expensive. But because we hold so many items, we have it, yet there's a cost to that because we have to buy it and hold it, stock it, and keep it. You don't make money from inventory. You make money from selling inventory. Ergo, when it's sitting there, technically you're losing money. So you want things to be moved quick in and out, typically speaking. Belts, that's not exactly it is correct. Don't tell me my business. All right? <laughs> I'm feeling the whole I'm feeling good, brothers. And sisters, I'm feeling good. Belts is glad to be back, clean, feeling good, getting up early, hitting the bag, hitting the gym, eating right, feeling right. That was a quick sidebar there, sorry. Tommy Bench is rolling his eyes. Get to the point. <laughs> but the pastry chef is just, like I said, just this underrated asset. And in the restaurant I worked at, the pastry chef was vital. And I'll tell you why. Waiters, when they get things hitting on all cylinders, you want to plant the dessert seed early. Now, most waiters, even in fine dining, poo-poo dessert. And I always found that to be kind of funny. In this particular situation, let's do some simple math. So if, let's say you get, let's say there's four people at a table and each gets a dessert, all right? I'm going to use relatively simple math here, so we'll just go with it. I'm going to get back to the pastry chef in a minute, but I'm going to show you the impact of selling dessert annually from a very macro level. So let's say everyone gets dessert. It's around 12 bucks, right around there, 12 to 14 bucks. Let's go low and say 12. You're going to get a coffee. Coffee's a great money maker for restaurants. It's insane. The profit margins margin on coffee are outrageous. Between the dessert and the coffee, it's probably around $18. Now let's say you have 40 covers. Sounds about right for fine dining for a normal night. Let's say half of them get dessert. So at $18 a head times 20, half of 40, you get 360. Now let's say you get a Typical gratuity, let's not even say 20%, let's say 18%. And I know the Europeans come over here, especially the ones from France, and they act like it's the 1970s and the 80s, and they think that we don't know that they're supposed to give gratuity, and yet they don't, and they play the oh, parlez vous français, we don't know, yes you do, and they cuck hard. Go back to France. Jeez, can't stand it anyway. So that would be about $360. 20 covers times 18, 360 times the 18% gratuity is around an extra $65 a day in your pocket. That's about 260 bucks a week, assuming you work four shifts, which is about normal. That is about $13,500 a year that you're not getting by selling dessert. That was free. Uh, and it's 100% true what I just said, Be the number, albeit the numbers aside, that's still a pretty good roundabout figure. Restaurants need this pastry chef to be on point. Her specials need to be on point. And she needs to be, or he, excuse me, in touch with the restaurant staff constantly. Moving these desserts is huge. When you have, like I said, alcohol storage, you're not necessarily making a lot of money off that. When you get the big loin and the big tenderloin that you're going to cut up, you know, the fillets don't come individual. You get the whole tenderloin. You have to cut that up. There's a chance you might not sell all that. I don't know, COVID could come. You could have a full, fr I don't know, a lot of things. It's not a lot. Meat turns fast. You can't freeze it, obviously, at 50, 60 bucks a steak. No one wants a thawed-out steak, right? I certainly don't. You can tell when it is. It happened to me at Ruse Chris once, almost through a fit. The Ruse Chris in New Orleans is trash, the one by the casino. The original one is in Metairie, Louisiana, on Vets. It's in a new building now, post-Katrina. It is amazing. 
Do not go to the one in New Orleans. Don't go, don't go to New Orleans, period. We're we'll do a whole new show on that. My brother's wife just watched a guy get like carjacked at Costco in the middle of the day or something. I don't know. It's ridiculous. Circus. Again, what far left leadership and a woke DA gets you. We don't prosecute criminals. We just don't. Back to the back to the bag, Santa. Come on now. I just said Santa. That's old school. North Korean Santa. You remember that? Danny Belts. But the pastry chef, again, as he or she continues to push this, will always have a staple dessert. This restaurant I speak of, the Five Diamond Hotel Four Star Restaurant, had the coconut cake and still has the coconut cake. Goes for 12 bucks a slice, yields about 10 slices. It cost about $8 to make. So let's compare that to a filet. It's going to cost you 50, 60, 70, I don't know, more than that. We'll say about, I don't know, 150, 200 bucks. I don't even know what the cost of this is now, particularly now. Let's just say 300, uh, yeah, 300 bucks. You're going to get so many cuts off that, you're going to sell them for 50 or $60, which means you're going to be flipping a good 80 to 120% profit. Your food cost should look decent on that, decent. But at the same time, the profit margins are not even close to that of a pastry chef. It, it's not even in the same realm. So it costs about eight bucks to put together this coconut cake. Again, what comes with making pastries, cakes and such? Flour, sugar, icing, I'm running out of stuff. And all that stuff is very cheap. And you can store that out the waz. You don't and, and it's it's rel- and you're gonna move through it. You're never gonna hold the inventory, you're never gonna hold flour in a restaurant like this. You're going through it like crazy. So what comes to coconut cake? Flour, sugar. Icing, I don't know, a coconut, I guess. I, it's not much money. It probably cost you under $10 to make that cake. It'll yield over $120. I'm not good at math. That is an outrageous ROI on purchasing those set items to make this cake. The small things in the restaurants, aside from the configuration, the pastry chef is a staple in keeping a stable bottom line. You're going to have specials that don't go. You're going to have to get creative, right? You're going to have to make a soup now. Dump it all in there at some point. That's what people do. Anthony Bourdain got into that in that, uh, uh, the, uh, the Big Short movie and his little quip caveat they put in there. Great movie. Great story. I lived in Florida as that was happening, working in this very restaurant, as a matter of fact. <laughs> 2008 when it all hit the fan. So in looking at a restaurant, particularly fine dining, Overlooking the pastry chef is a huge mistake, and this restaurant did not. They pumped out desserts. The wait staff was in coordination with the pastry chef, who was there for a while when I was there. She's since moved on. Good for her. She's in California now. I saw that on LinkedIn. She's balling at some well, – actually, not right now, California. Only person that can eat in California is Gavin Newsom. That's it, a.k.a. Gavin or Gruesome. Uh, that, that, that's about it. And speaking of which, I can't help it. The L.A. mayor and gruesome, what, Civetti, whatever his name is, I'm sure um, I butchered that. I should have that written down. But but <laughs> they both took a picture with Magic Johnson in a suite at the recent NFL game without a mask, of course, even though they make your kids wear a mask to school. You have to wear a mask in the shower and during sex in California. You have to wear a mask by yourself in a car with the windows down, it seems like. Better yet, just put on a space suit. Just go on a spacesuit like you're Neil Armstrong, all right? I mean, call me Buzz Aldrin. For, I mean, it just it, it's insane. Or maybe some scuba gear. Maybe that would suffice. Unbelievable. California. Can't even rent a U-Haul right now there. People are flying out of there anyway. But he said, the mayor of L.A. said, oh, but I held my breath in the photo. <laughs> He's, <laughs> he is, that's just like the Whoopi Goldberg thing. It is. What's stupider, the fact that you're telling me this or the fact that you want me to believe this? I don't even know which one's dumber. I don't care. Again, he doesn't know how dumb he sounds. He's just as out of touch as Whoopi. But in the same regard to what I said, the money generated is so great. Profit margins, this literally could keep a limping restaurant afloat, an average restaurant profitable, and a profitable restaurant wildly profitable. In desserts and coffee. Make no mistake, that cappuccino cost them 10 cents to make, and it's $7.95. There's nothing in a cappuccino but espresso and hot milk. And then you fluff it up on the top. That's it. Belts, that's not it. Yes, it is. That's not what Starbucks does. You're a cuck. Not my fault. Well, Belts, that's a great thing about the pastry chef. What's it have to do with anything? Oh, I'm super glad you asked. 
Let's start off with the UCLA Bruins. Right now, they're number three, standing at 15-2. and two. They have one conference loss at home to Oregon. It was kind of a fluke. Oregon went ballistic, engaged them in a shootout. Very difficult to do with this UCLA team. And they were able to eke out a victory in a very hostile environment over there in UCLA. They've also lost to Gonzaga. Not a shabby resume. And they have, I said last week, Michigan State, excuse me, it was Arizona that they eviscerated at home about a week ago. But what makes UCLA unique in its own and how they remind me of like this pastry chef thing, this underrated value that continues to add to the bottom line but does not make the stat sheet. What makes the stat sheet in a restaurant? Who I sold the venison. I sold the venison special. I sold the first. I sold Rothschild. And then I sold in a skillin, a nice one from Canada for dinner. That's great. That's great. But, but you missed the small things now, didn't you? UCLA right now, in the same way they develop RPI and other continuous statistics, and particularly baseball and in basketball, leads the Pac-12 in 50-50 balls. We'll take it a step further. They're number three in 50-50 balls in the country. 50-50 balls are what they sound like. The ball's on the ground, two guys dive, it's a 50-50 ball. Ball's bouncing around on a tip rebound, who gets it? That's a 50-50 ball. UCLA hits the deck religiously, and you have to. You're going to play for Mick Cronin. If you don't know a lot about him, Google him. Now, that since he, all the places he's been, you have to play defense to play for this man. Like Tony Bennett in Virginia, period, full stop. You have to play defense. And boy, UCLA does that. Now, that's not necessarily the small thing a pastry chef is, but the pastry chef is certainly those 50-50 balls. Do you see those in the box score? I bet you don't. They're also one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country, number eight. UCLA crashes the boards as good as it gets. And let me tell you one thing, too, to revert, not revert, but let me go back. Usually, McDonald's All-Americans and guys that are going in the first round, they don't like diving at balls. You, <laughs> but you still have to do that to play for this man. And make no mistake, they're on the ground constantly. I don't even know where to begin when I talk about this team, but their unique combination of guards the country has, we have not seen this in a long time. If you don't know, UCLA plays four guards. No, they don't. Yes, they do. Johnny Gazang, Gazang, that's their star leading scorer. He stands about six, six and a half flat footed. All right. He's a big guard. All right. Then you got Jamie Jacquez, six, eight. Jules Bernard, six, seven. And the little guy, Tiger Campbell at five, eleven. Probably the best point guard nearly in college basketball. They play with one forward and they go down to the bench with two more guards. Big guards. Guards that this is the same thing Cincinnati did when he was at this. This is the same type of thing. Interchangeable guard positions that can guard nearly anyone but the biggest guy on the court defensively. Do you see that in the stat sheet? Nay, you won't. Just like you won't hear about how many coconut cakes said restaurant pumped out, how many slices that made them thousands that cost them 80 bucks to make in a week. These are the things that attract me to certain teams. UCLA is the best team in the country. They suffocate you defensively. They do not switch. And when they do switch, it doesn't matter. You do not find a mismatch on a high screen and roll. You won't. There is no mismatch. Offensively, they can do whatever they want. All five guys can shoot. They settle for the three, but boy, do they kill you in the fast break and the extra pass. How many extra passes do you see in the box score? None. Watch UCLA play. You'll see a lot. Another underrated piece of coconut cake served right up to you from yours truly. This team is very special. I have them to win the national championship at 15-1. to 1. So does the young Woken. Shout out to Young Woken. But they are the premier team. I, if they play Gonzaga again on a neutral court, you will see a different outcome. And Gonzaga is a rough customer, last I checked. UCLA is also built, as I said, with that bench. Cronin has a very interesting way that he integrates people in and out. And he loves to play that bench. And when the bench is rolling, the starters will sit. He does not have this preconceived notion that we need to have our starters play a certain amount of minutes. In his own words, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. He's been doing this for years. He was coach of the year two years ago, his first year over there at UCLA. 
in the Pac-12. I think he should be coach of the year in the country. An excellent recruiter. UCLA is a team to watch, especially if you have a son and you want to see good basketball, albeit I can't stand it when Bill Walton's announcing, talks more about the freaking Grateful Dead than he does the actual basketball game. Just an absolute whack job. The drunk neighbor loves this guy. I don't get it. Actually, I do get it, but whatever. But keep your eye on UCLA because the small things they do are very similar to the small things, again, a pastry chef does in one of these nice restaurants. You won't see it in the stat sheet, but you'll see it on the check. Yes, you will. Belts, great story. Let's have to do it with the Bengals. Oh, super. You're with me. I'm glad you asked that as well. The Cincinnati Bengals are an enigma. All right. Their division, the AFC North, which is usually very competitive. The Ravens were down. The Steelers were down. The Browns are horrible. And the Bengals were there. They didn't really do anything amazing in the regular season, albeit they beat the Chiefs at home late. Yes, that was good. They've looked great. They've looked terrible. But they managed their way to win that division, play the Raiders in the first round. It was close. Raiders knocking on the door at the end for the win, and they held. How many times do you see that in the stat sheet? The Bengals have held teams five times, five, this year inside the 10-yard line when the game was on the line and they've stopped them every single time. That's a coconut cake for me. That's something to that. Well, Burr gets sacked all the time. Yeah, he does. But now when that line's actually healthy. Well, Belts, the Titans got him nine times. I'm not going to argue with that. The next place they had to play after beating the Raiders in Cincinnati was at Tennessee. A great game. Bengals took an early lead. If you didn't see the game... Last second field goal, that was that weekend where all the insanity was happening when Kansas City played the Bills and all that. The Titans did get them nine times. And about four of those were on Burrow. Five of those were not. That's a lot of sacks. That's a record. They almost got them ten. It was crazy. But if I tell you the Bengals go on the road to Tennessee, who is seven and two at home, and are, are, like, are you because of the extra game, seven and two at home, Tennessee lost their first game to Arizona when they lost Derrick Henry. That game was kind of a wash. Tennessee has a wild home field advantage. Uh, the Saints choked one out there. Man, they had them beat. Oh, but it's a very difficult place to play. If I tell you they go on the road, Burrow gets sacked nine times. I, I mean, there's no way they cover, let alone win, yet they won. And yet no one talks about this. How in the hell can you give up nine sacks? That's tantamount to two or three turnovers. Turn the ball over on the road in the playoffs, you're done. Unless your name's Tom Brady, who threw three errant interceptions versus Green Bay last year in the second half, and then Rodgers cucks, and they went three and out three times in a row. People forget that. Brady, certainly a turnover machine last couple years, especially versus New Orleans Saints. I digress. But they're able to get through that. And I don't hear anyone really talking about that. Nine sacks and you advance? Advance these nuts. No way. Yes way. And they do. Then they go play in the hardest place there is in football right now, Kansas City, who started off slow early with injuries, also 7-2 and two at home, combined 14-4, and four, a home record, pretty damn good, with Tennessee and the Chiefs, and go down 21-3 to three and have the medal to come back, muster up, and take that game in bizarre fashion. Burrow shows his ball sack again, and it hangs low. Once again, big game Burrow, as far as I'm concerned. There'll be a lot of support for the Bengals down here. Plus, we hate the Rams anyway. Yeah, nice no call in the NFC Championship. I'm not even going to go down that road, too. But it's amazing what the Bengals have done. Now, what the Rams have done is not necessarily unimpressive, but had the Niners executed, they win that game rather easily. Up by 10, Garoppolo misses an easy bomb touchdown. A very, very strange 12, uh, too many men on the field call. It looks like he was off. Some goofy calls to keep Rams drives alive. I'm not having my tinfoil hat on all the way, but the NFL certainly it's in their best interest to have L.A. in the Super Bowl. I'm not saying that the Rams were given what they were when they came to New Orleans a couple years ago. No, three years ago. But it is kind of, there were some things that were like, eh, I don't know. The Bengals run is definitely more impressive. And one thing that I love about the Bengals is although their offensive line isn't the best, 
boy, do they get a lot of help from their receivers and running backs, particularly Mixon, who reminds me of, of Marshall Falk, the ex-LSU guy, the three-down back, long time, excuse me, Kevin Falk, cousin to Marshall, Kevin Falk, who was the third-down back for the Patriots, like forever, multiple titles with them, all-around great utility player. He was one of the best blocking running backs I've ever seen. This dude, Mixon, chips everybody. You will not see that in the stat sheet as well. There's your coconut cake for Mixon as well. There's a nice slice of that with a cappuccino. That'll be $21.50 plus tax, not gratuity. Thank you very much. And the Rams open up a three-and-a-half favorite, four. Now it's at four minus 120 on the sites I see. And it looks like it might go up. If it does go up to four-and-a-half, welcome to the great land of Teaserville, as I'm telling you, everyone will tease that up probably to get to 10 and a half. And then they'll mess with the total and probably lose. Teasers are a bad bet. <laughs> it's one of the most popular bets in the world. and There's a reason why. Much like slot machines are the most popular thing to play in a casino, teasers are very popular and they suck. Lou Anarama, their defensive coordinator, did some amazing second half adjustments. In that game versus since in that game when Cincinnati played Kansas City, you notice they didn't give him anything over the top. No big, no long plays. Safety's off the ball. That's fine. They'll kill you underneath, and they have a lot of speed underneath. Many, many weapons, particularly Tyreek Hill. In the first half, that's what they did. Underneath, and the yak yards were adding up and adding up and adding up. In the second half, though, they brought the safeties just a little bit in. They moved the linebackers a little bit out. It's almost like they played this hand on purpose, and the Chiefs had no idea what to do when they still couldn't go deep. And now these three-yard passes were a yard loss or a no gain or a one-yard gain. And then Kansas City's punter got more action than he has in his entire life in one half than he has in a whole season in Arrowhead Stadium. Do not sleep on this Bengals defense. They seem to have something figured out when it counts. Now, Joe Burrow over here gets all the credit and a lure, of course. He's the quarterback, and he deserves a lot of that. But the Bengals' defense keeps them in games, and I hate to say it's kind of cliche. They bend, they don't break, especially when the game is on the line. And what can you say about the Bengals' defense when the game was on the line against the Raiders, against the Titans, and especially versus the Chiefs, who got the ball first in overtime. Yes, the narrative is written. Mahomes is going to come down the field and score a touchdown. He throws an interception. There's your coconut cake there. The pastry chef is going to be cooking. But the pastry chef is in the Bengals restaurant on this side. I'm not going to throw out any picks yet. Probably it's Bengals or nothing for me. I mean, don't tell me they can't win the Super Bowl and beat the Rams, who, in my opinion, are more lucky to be here than any team. Uh, I don't think that the Bengals are lucky at all. I think they've had to deal with a lot. You, know, you give up 12 sacks in three games, nine in one game. I don't know how you find yourself in the Super Bowl, but you do. They don't turn the ball over. They bend, don't break. They have a great defensive coordinator. They have a group effort to block. After that line breaks down, particularly with Mixon, it's the little things with Cincy you'll never see hit the spreadsheet, just like with the UCLA Bruins. They have the pastry chef in their restaurant and not the other teams. And you can take that to the bank. Are you a white person who wants a lot of credit for helping to create racial equality while you do nothing to help create racial equality? If so, that means you want to be a woke white person. So listen up, because I'm going to give you your PhD in Wokeology. Bro Exotic. It's been a while, my friend. I was out. How you doing? Uh, what's going on, dude? Bro Exotic. Uh, Woke Cardinal. Church Woke. Um, dude, glad to, uh, glad to hear you again, dude. We've been, um, we've been really praying for you over the Church of Woke, dude. I myself have been doing uh, about 100 hail fallacies per day. Uh, just so you would do better. Of course, we know that's Hale Fauci full of vaccine. The science is with thee. Blessed art thou among CNN and the fruit of life, President Biden. And I said that about 100 times a day until you come back on here, dude. And lo and behold, it's great to hear your voice again, man. How you doing? Here I am, dude. Yeah, thank you, man. Thanks for the Hale Fauci's. Uh, they must have worked. I might look into converting. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Healthy recovery here. Yeah, uh, man. So much to discuss right now. Um, yeah, dude. Did you uh, hear what I was talking about? Yeah, dude. Actually, I heard about that, dude. What's uh, what's up about this uh, 
is pastry chef. Oh, well, <laughs> somebody read the notes, I guess. Wow, look at you. Well, see, Bro Exotic, the pastry chef is a very underrated. What? <laughs> it's, I mean, first of all, dude, you want to talk about underrated. I can't believe you didn't bring up uh, Virtue Vax already. Uh, ver, ver, okay, come again. Oh, there's no way you don't know about this, dude. So, yeah, uh, Church of Woke, we have actually uh, we've made our way into the metaverse and created our first uh, metaverse company, Virtue. There we go. <laughs> you seriously never heard about this, dude. I, I have not, and nor has our audience. So, please tell us. I mean, just when you think you're going one direction, I mean, we take a hard left, and I'm going to go with you. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about Virtue Vax. This oh, I debate. thought everyone knew about this by now. But anyway, so like in the metaverse, <laughs> there's been, you know, like concerns about a deadly COVID strain computer virus. So, of course, uh, the Church of Woke, we went right on into the metaverse and created our, uh, our own CDC Center for Disease Computers and started implementing. <laughs> shutdowns and mandates uh, almost instantaneously since, you know, the uh, church of work were boys with Zuckerberg. And as you know, he's hashtag mask up, vax up all day, every day. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, dude, it was actually awesome, dude. So, Marky Zucks even appointed me as a honorary Fauci, which now makes me the highest paid government employee of the metaverse. You're the highest paid government employee in the metaverse. Kind of like yeah, how dude. Fauci's the highest government employee in the country. Right. That's wow. because I'm the, I am the honorary Fauci of the metaverse, so I'm the highest paid government official of the metaverse. That's insane. Can you run this back? You said CDC. I thought that was the Center for Disease Control. Uh, yeah, a... but in the metaverse, it's the Center for Disease Computers. Oh, I see. Wow. You, yeah, you dude. Really, yeah. It's just just uh, just due to this uh, this new deadly COVID strain uh, computer virus. So as um, as honorary Fauci of the metaverse, I've created my uh, my own lockdowns and uh mandates in the uh in the metaverse you know like mandates include like the uh not vax tax so each time uh someone logs in who hasn't gotten their virtual vax on the in the metaverse mm -hmm. uh, they have to submit to um the standard uh virtual covid test which is to stick a 12 inch anal probe swab up your butt uh because that's the only way to test for virtual covid uh and that's why most people in the multiverse or I'm sorry, in the, um, in the metaverse, they just end up getting the shot anyway, because they don't want constant, you know, 12 inch anal probe yes. swabs up their butt. Um, yeah, it seems, seems a little excessive. Is there a reason why we came to a number of 12 inches? Why not just like six? That's just how the science works, dude. It's just how the science works for the, the, uh, for, the yes. for the unvaccinated and mm -hmm. in the, this virtual reality. So everyone just gets this the, uh, shot, you know, to not have uh this 12 inch anal probe swab up their butt. Uh, I, I need to ask you, is the anal probe black? I'm just curious. The, uh, the anal probe uh, does not identify as any sort of color. Uh, we, we don't really uh, identify race or expound upon race too much in the metaverse. So it's kind Got of it. more of like a reality thing, but like there's no, uh, everyone sees in black and white, so to speak, in the metaverse. Sure. And everyone knows what BBC is. I was hoping this would be BBAP. <laughs> big black anal probe but apparently we're not going that direction i just had to ask yeah uh, so, this, so is, this is fascinating stuff. i mean like in, in terms of lockdowns dude like last week all virtual restaurants bars and stores had to be shut down for uh three days due to one avatar who decided not to get vaxxed and got uh virtual covid so we had Ooh. to shove a 12 inch anal probe swab up his butt for three straight days and then lo and behold the fourth day he decided to get the vaccine and now he's all better. You know, it's amazing therapy. Uh, yeah. I, I think I might get vaccinated in the metaverse if I had to have nasty Nate behind me. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a little concerned about this size of the probe, but let's not focus too much on the probe. I, I, can we talk real quick? What exactly is happening? What, what are you saying? Virtue vax. So, in this real, in this metaverse, you get vaccinated, and then can you still get COVID, like in real life, or do you just never get it? I'm I'm just curious. Well, no. As honorary Fauci, I can tell you that if you take the virtue vax, you are definitely not going to get COVID, as long as you take your weekly booster shots and wear your ten masks in the in the metaverse. Uh, you should be good. Okay. Um, 
And, you know, as long as we don't have uh, rogue, unvaxxed avatars uh, bringing the computer virus into the metaverse, we should be great. So, um, you know. Yeah. A couple questions I have, though, uh, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, are there police in the metaverse virtue vax ah, world? Great question, dude. Actually, Thank there you. are no virtual police. Uh, we've actually oh, uh, de- we've defunded the software company. Uh, that would have been involved in uh, developing and designing the police for the metaverse. <laughs> but since they've been defunded, uh, there are no police, no. Uh, no, no police. No right. Let's take it a step further. Uh, is there Antifa in the metaverse? I'm just curious. See, now there in are. The Portland there's, metaverse. There's quite a bit at? of Antifa in the metaverse, dude. And I, yeah. I mean, actually, mm-hmm. if, you're, if, you're, if you're living in the metaverse and you're unvaccinated, dude, you're, you have a high likelihood of them uh, – Burning your house down, stealing uh, all your shit, and uh, it's not fun. No, not at all. And I do have one more question. I think everyone wants to know this one. Is there a Buffalo Riot Wing? Yes. yes, There is. Wow, I knew it. Actually, yeah, we're doubling down on this one, dude. So we can create Buffalo Riot Wings all around the metaverse, dude. And Antifa is running rampant. So things are burning down and profits are going up. You know, we can't – we're just making – Money have a hand of a fist, dude. Your meta wings are on fire. Yeah, they are on fire, dude. Our virtual wings are on fire. It just gets no better than this. Well, bro, exotic. I, I think you've given us just—I mean, you've given us once again. Your cup runneth over. I don't even know where to begin here. Uh, our listeners still probably think this is a spoof. It's—it's it's not. This is a real person. Uh, crazy. Well, congratulations on your promotion to the honorary. Uh, was it again? Honorary church. Was uh, it? I'm the honorary Fauci. Uh, and in that was metaverse. appointed by the creator of the metaverse, the, the God King Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. Didn't you call him Mark Zucks or something? Did I hear oh, that? Um, yeah, dude. I call him Marky Zucks inside, dude. We're, uh, we're boys. You guys are like on nickname basis in the metaverse. Yeah, dude. Got yeah, it. Uh huh. Just blows my mind. I don't know if you can bring up NFTs because I think I might have an aneurysm. Anyway, Bro Exotic, you've been once again uh, <laughs> more than enough. Thanks for jumping on the show and go ahead and give it a rip before you leave. Absolutely, dude. Uh, y'all can catch me on Instagram, bro exotic, B R E A U X exotic, and uh, no joke, stay woke, bro. Oh, yeah, stay woke, pal. Jeez. All right, dude. Cheers. <laughs> Tommy Bench joins the sports antelope. It's been a while, pal. Been uh, woo. Got to go back to like December or something. I don't know, man. I know. In the, in the days of COVID, time. I don't know. Time flies, and then it drags on in other ways. But it's good to be back. Good to have our uh, excellent award-winning host back thank you thank you yes so good to, good to have you back I, I was flailing performing host duties oh that's not what i heard uh don't sell yourself short you're a tremendous slouch a little caddyshack line there for you no um so I mean, there's so much to go here i know that your time is limited i mean we got canada is cucking once again we got a war in ukraine coming on here hunter biden's laptop still floating around the bermuda triangle I don't know what direction you're going to go, but I'm sure one of those, if not all, I don't know. Why don't you go ahead and take us away here? Well, I, I do want to talk about the Ukraine situation because it's it's another perfectly illustrative example of the Biden administration's incompetence has backed us into a corner where there are no good next steps. There are no good options, similar to Afghanistan. It It, it just illustrates... We don't even have the JV team on. And I think a, a few months back, I, I talked about an article I read that was an excellent analysis of the, uh, the Biden administration and the fact that it, it's not even the, the Obama B team. It's like the C and D team. It, it's like it would be like if from some of those stories you regaled us with when you were last on the show <laughs> about your performance on the basketball team in high school. Imagine if instead of calling you off the bench, they said, we're going to go get the, what did they call it? Did they, they didn't call it the freshman team. Thirds? Did they call it thirds? Thirds. Thirds. Which was like all the freshmen who probably never had a future playing basketball, but the school wanted to give them a chance to engage in athletics. Okay. Um, and every now and then you'd get like a sophomore or a junior who'd get stuck on thirds and they'd be the laughing stock of, of the team. And then they'd eventually come join the wrestling team. Um, it would be like if you were heading into the league championship and you said, never mind, sit the whole varsity lineup, 
go fill in with the thirds um, because that's who we think is going to lead us to the promised land. Sure. So, so you've got this administration full of not even second tier, third and fourth tier quote experts, you know, Blinken, Blinken was some second rate policy advisor to the vice president during the Obama years. He was not, you know, oftentimes in the, I'm the vice president who eventually gets elected to the presidency. You fill in with a lot of people from the prior presidency, you know, H.W. Bush, while he had his people, he, he plucked a lot of Reaganites and people from the Reagan administration, even though, you know, he, he wanted to view himself differently. You look, you look at people who've had the experience, you know, who are part of the party faithful and all that. Biden couldn't, couldn't get hardly anybody from the Obama administration interested because people don't want to be associated with him. All right. So, so that was a long runway to why is this situation in Ukraine? One, why is it relevant? Two, why is it illustrating the further incompetence? All right, why is it relevant? Why do we care about some country, some former Soviet bloc country that really is not a major economic player? Uh, why should we care? And, and this is one thing I'll actually disagree with Tucker Carlson. He, he's been Ooh. making noises essentially saying, oh, why should we care and let Russia be Russia and who cares? And wh- why do we have to automatically stand in, in opposition to Russia as if by default? And he blames the, the neocon foreign policy establishment. And he, he has some valid points that the you know war now, war forever neocons they, you can you can kind of get the sense that they just think this is their chance to rise back to the ascendancy of managing foreign policy because well we have to we, we have to do something militarily um, the, the reason why it's relevant it, again it almost has less to do with the surface reason and more to do with the second and third order effects look if Russia retakes Ukraine and adds it back to the Russian Federation and tries to reassemble the Soviet Union is that the end of the world probably not it's not a great look for the ideas of national sovereignty and democracy and principles that we hold to be pretty important in Western civilization uh, for how, how the, the world order, the post-World War II world order that the world settled into functions. So it's, it's not good. We, we don't think modern developed countries should be taking one another over through military force. Okay? It's, been, it's been decades since that's happened. Uh, we, we'd like Russia to behave more like a Western democracy instead of an, you know, a oligarchy run by a couple of thugs. But the truth is they are an oligarchy run by a thug. So, uh, all right, what, what's the big deal if they take over Ukraine? One of the arguments being put forth is, well, the Ukraine is the doorstep of NATO because the next set of countries to the west of the Ukraine are in fact members of NATO. And, and an attack against one is an attack on all. So in theory, if Putin got really bold and decided to roll a tank, across a border into Estonia or Latvia or one of those other smaller countries that's part of NATO, you'd have a different scenario where by treaty, we would, we would then be compelled to send troops. And, and, and again, I'll cut to the chase. I'm not going to advocate that the U.S. send military forces to prevent Russia from invading Ukraine at this point. So, so that's kind of the, the idea being put forth is we can't let that happen because it sets a dangerous precedent. And if, and if we let them have this sort of intermediary country, Ukraine, if we give that up and let them have it, then the next step would be him trying to invade a NATO country, which could, could then lead to, you know, World War III. The reason I think we need to do something and we can't just sit idly by is the precedent it sets with respect to China and Taiwan. And again, I'm, I'm not the first person to put this forward. Many people have observed this. But if you are Xi Jinping and you watch Russia, a, a sort of second tier world power, okay, they're, they're not even, you know, people, people forget their economy is, is not even the size of California or Texas's economy. Their GDP is about $2 trillion. On the world stage, that puts them I think they're in the G20, but they're, they're not even, they're not even in the, they might barely be in the G7, but they're not, you know, the G4 or G5. They are not a economic heavyweight. So the idea that we would just roll over and let them plow right into a country and not think that China wouldn't look at that and think, well, the Western powers didn't do anything. And look, we've been claiming Taiwan for 60, 70 years. Time to roll up our sleeves and just go take it. And the ramifications of China taking Taiwan, and we've talked about this in the past, get ready for every electronic device you own to quadruple in price. I mean, you think there's chip shortages and supply chain issues? Let Taiwan be taken over by the Chinese Communist Party. 
just just wait until they have the stranglehold. I mean, they already have a stronghold in semiconductors and chip production. Wait until they seize Taiwan. You will see a supply chain disruption. You will see them hold the world hostage to the likes of which you've never seen. So there's my reason for why we should care about Ukraine and, and why something should be done. Now let's talk about what that something is. And this is where we get into the meat of the incompetency of the Biden administration. So the truth is, the things that should have been done should have been done long ago. Uh, the Trump administration did, in fact, uh, sanction the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. What is the Nord Stream 2 pipeline? It's this massive pipeline that Russia has been working on and building to pump natural gas into Europe vis-a-vis -vis Germany. It would put billions and billions of dollars into Russia's pocket. And by the way, Russian oil and gas companies are largely, are essentially state-owned enterprises. In fact, uh, one of the more accurate ways to look at Russia is they're an oil and gas company that also masquerades as a country. I mean, they, they really are very singularly focused. It's oil and natural gas. Uh, that's, that's where they get the hard currency into their economy to help support it. So the Trump administration, and this is something Ted Cruz has been making a lot of noise about, and the senator from Texas, but the Trump administration had sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, basically saying, if you complete that pipeline, um, we're, we're going to take actions to get the companies involved in it and, and all this. And it was, it was very effective in slowing things down. Biden comes in and they undo those sanctions. Uh, the, the way the, the legislation was written is the, the president was able to undo the sanctions. And he undid them. And, and I mean, essentially, it's amazing that Donald Trump was painted as being a stooge for the Russians. Biden comes in, undoes these sanctions, and almost overnight, they start working on this pipeline. The only thing holding it back is are German regulators. So once the Germans, and gee, have we ever had a scenario where the Germans and the Russians caused a lot of problems on the Eurasian continent? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe somebody more historically uh, knowledgeable than I can piece that together. Just a but, tad. Just, just, just a tad, just a tad. But once Germany gives the thumbs up and signs off on that, billions of dollars are going to start flowing into Russia. And, and by the way, Germany needs that natural gas because they've, they've done their stupid go all in for greens. They've gotten rid of nuclear power plants. They need that natural gas for baseload energy because, as we understand, windmills and solar panels never generate what you think they're going to generate. And they're not reliable. So they need that backup source. And it's going to be Russian natural gas. And then, and then really Vladimir Putin or whichever thug or autocrats in power in Russia is going to be able to dictate terms to Europe. And they're going to start pulling Europe closer to their orbit and further away from ours. And it's just another move to, con to continue to isolate us and prevent us, the United States, Los Estados Unidos, from having influence over the world. And, and you've got these regional powers like Russia trying to pull people closer into their sphere. So... That Nord Stream 2 pipeline, it's probably the biggest bargaining chip that if we drop the hammer on them and sanction the companies working on it and sanction the financial institutions that are part of the financing structure, we could probably really hurt Vladimir Putin. Um, but the truth is, it's almost at this point, he's got, you know, 100,000 troops on the border. Look, I was part of a group that had to mobilize and go to Haiti with like 72 hours notice. And I was part of a group of about 4,500 Marines, when you, Marines and sailors. And when, when you total that all in, um, you know, it was a Wednesday night, we were told that on Friday we were leaving. That, that was a significant logistical effort to get that many people. Now, fortunately that unit had just come home from deployment. So everything was pretty much still ready to go. They just kind of packaged everything back up and shoved it on the ships and shoved us all down to Haiti. But it's still, that's a big lift. Now think 100,000 troops. You don't stick 100,000 troops somewhere unless you plan to do something with it. So I do agree. It's just a matter of time before something happens. And, and whether it's some sort of false flag operation where, you know, they, they get some ethnic Russians to be slaughtered in the street by, you know, Ukrainian nationalists. And then Putin claims he's going in to protect lives and it's a peace. He'll say something like it's a peacekeeping operation while he's dropping mortar <laughs> shells and artillery rounds on Ukrainian towns and cities. It, and, and then what are we going to do? No, I, again, I'm not going to advocate that the U.S. send forces in. I, I, I don't think Ukraine has any, quote, allies who are so allied with them that they would send their military forces in to fight back against the Russians. And the truth is the Russians would overrun eastern Ukraine in, in probably a matter of days. So 
again, we've just allowed ourselves to be put into this position where the only options are options we're unwilling to take. Um, there is no popular support for military, for U.S. boots on the ground. Um, there's, you know, the, the, the talks that are going on between Russia and U.S. diplomats aren't doing anything productive because Vladimir Putin, the, the one thing you can count on with Vladimir Putin and any KGB agent is whatever they tell you they want is not what they really want. So when he says, oh, I just want you to not let Ukraine into NATO, that's not what he really wants. And he's he's making us look so foolish in this operation because he, he's a shrewd guy. All right. He, he's not some loser that you should just take lightly and think, well, we'll just bully him around. When Biden got elected and when he sees this, these second rate diplomats that he's dealing with, um, these, these you know, third tier Obama administration folks. He, he just must laugh because well, he I knows mean, he'll just get not, whatever he wants. Not just second rate diplomats. What about third and fourth rate, like military, for better word, commanders? Right. I don't think this guy's taking note that our military is more worried about transgender inclusion than what? What did you say the, the military does? Blows to break stuff. What is it? Again? It's, it's supposed to break, kill people and break things. That's what the yeah. military. That's the, that should be the sole focus of the U.S. Armed Forces. Kill people and break things. Yeah. You know, I guarantee you, Vladimir Putin's hundred thousand troops on the border. They're ready to kill people and break things. They're they're not talking about diversity. They're not having DEI no. training sessions prior to overrunning Eastern Ukraine. So, it, it, again, it'll just be another foreign policy example. And, and and remember, we were told the adults were back in the room. That's right. We were told the adults were back in the room and Joe Biden has decades of foreign policy experience. You can't point to one positive foreign policy thing he's accomplished in his entire presidency. So just get ready for more incompetency on that front. And, and, and the sad thing is regardless of how big the red wave is in November, in November, there's very little Republicans when retaking the house and the Senate can do to affect foreign policy. Constitutionally speaking, the president and the executive branch has pretty wide latitude in the execution of foreign policy. Now, they're not supposed to be able to do treaties, um, but they have a lot of latitude in how they can handle foreign policy. And, and, and that's probably one of the most concerning things, because then building back from that, no matter who gets elected in 2024, is going to be a heavy lift. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of building back. Wait, never mind. I don't want to go down that road. Uh, no, interesting take. I did hear, I ha I've heard corollaries between Tehran and China to Ukraine and Russia, but I mean, it, it, you, you're exactly right. If Ping's over there watching that happen, then he can only, you can only imagine he's going to try to, you know, multiply that times 100. And I do agree with you that if Taiwan does get taken over, supply chain is going to be a three ring, full blown circus, white tigers, clowns, the whole shebang. <laughs> And then, I mean, yeah, as far as chips and all that, yeah, I mean, you couldn't hit that any harder. But, but I thought that was a great point, man. Anything you want to close with here or what? Uh, I don't know who's going to win the Super Bowl. It's probably not even worth pontificating about. But it'll be good. It'll, it'll be, be good. We're, we're, we're rooting for the Bengals down here. One, we hate the Rams after, you know, we owe them after that ridiculous non-call that even non-football watchers remember. And you're a football watcher. You remember that NFC Championship. Oh, yeah. That was about as bad as it gets. Plus, I hate California. Oh, and by the way, just so you know, I know you saw – what's the governor uh, or the mayor Newsom. of L.A.? The mayor of L.A.? Um, governor Newsom. No, no, no. Oh, uh, uh, Garcetti. 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 He recently took a picture with Magic Johnson without a mask. You saw that, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Did you see what his explanation was this morning by chance? I heard Newsom's explanation. I have not heard Garcetti's explanation. Okay, I could be getting the mix, but I'm almost positive it was Garcetti. Are you sitting down? I'm sitting. I'm, I'm seated. Okay, good. Because you get lightheaded and faint if not. He said that he was holding his breath. <laughs> I'm, I'm not making this I up. I love it. I, I, you, you really can't make that up. I, and I, I didn't believe it. I thought it was a meme. And no, it's a quote. It, it, he held his breath, so it's all good, bro. It's all good. Well, and it's not like Magic Johnson's an immunocompromised individual. Yeah. <laughs> Although, does it, like, didn't, I mean, isn't he, like, one of the weird cases where, oh, yeah, he, like, no longer has it? South Park something. did an episode, South Park did an episode where they came, they ended up at Magic Johnson's house because Cartman thought he had AIDS, 
And then Magic Johnson has like $800 million in money stacked around him. And he's like, I don't know why, but I don't know why I don't have it. And then he has like piles of money. And then they show him liquefying about a million dollars and then injecting it into his veins. <laughs> it's just uh, pretty ridiculous. But yeah, it is amazing, though. But, look, man, I appreciate your time. We'll be rooting for the Bengals because of Joe Burrow and I hate the Rams and the underdog, blah, blah, blah. But we look forward to having you on next week, bro. All right. Looking forward to it out Great here. Take. See you later. Thanks for joining the Sports Antidote, episode number 85, The Pastry Chef. I hope you took something from that. But when I was out there in South Florida, Southeast Florida, I had a lot of time to put together some good material. This is just the beginning, brethren. This is just the beginning. Thanks to Tommy Bench and Bro Exotic for jumping on the show today. Uh, it came out a little late. I had some work stuff I had to take care of. Be sure and reach out, touch a brother, tell somebody about the Sports Antidote. We'll get into more prop bets and the gambling aspect. The next episode, we did hit the Niners. I neglected to mention that. The Niners lost, but they covered the three and a half. We are now 45 and 32 on the year. You will not make any more money from free picks, free picks anywhere else in the world, as far as I'm concerned, as you would on this podcast this year. Be sure and follow us on Instagram at the Sports Antelope and tune in next week. Keep it real, Anadotians. Schooling is on, then I'm about to school it with the girlies that's busting it out. I'm special ed, and you can tell by the style that I use. I'm creatively superior, yo. I never lose, I never lost, cause I'm the boss and never will, cause I'm still the champion. Chief one won't lose until I choose, which I won't, cause I don't retreat. I run you over like a truck and leave it dead in the street. You're